Welcome to the third episode of the Skills Factory, talks and ideas about skills from Europe and beyond. This is the podcast series done by the European Training Foundation, European Union agency working on the topic of human capital development in the EU neighboring countries. In our first episode, we've discussed whether inclusive learning is a myth or a challenge. Our second episode was about the skills for the future. This time, we'd like to propose you another topic that is highly relevant to most of the learners globally. We'd like to talk about what to expect from the education in post-COVID world. Will online learning be the new normal? The education and training system was one of the most affected during the outbreak of COVID-19 in 2020. It is estimated, according to UNESCO, that schools' closures affected about 70% of learners worldwide. Most of the education providers suddenly had to shift away from the classroom in many parts of the globe to an online learning environment. In a lot of transition and developing countries, this transition was slower or not possible at all. In some countries, online learning was fully implemented, but with a lot of questions and doubts about the quality and the results of such modality. We can't tell yet whether the adoption of online learning will continue to persist in post-pandemic reality and how such a shift would impact the education worldwide. But today, we'll try to look at the online learning from the perspective of efficiency and we'll try to learn more about the point of view of future employers and we'll try to answer the question whether online learning would be the new normal for education and training globally. I'm Marie Lvova and today I'd like to introduce you our guests to talk about this topic. Today we're speaking with Michael Lightfoot, education expert. Hello, Michael. Hi there. And Albert Canigeral, expert on the future of work and digital platforms. Hi, Albert. Hello. Um, so my first question will be to Michael. Um, according to the recent study done by McKinsey, most teachers think uh, online learning is a poor substitute of the traditional face-to-face classroom. What happened? During the global pandemic, obviously, there was no choice of going online or staying in the class. But after the health emergency is over, will online learning stay as an option? Well, I think the, the COVID uh, pandemic and the consequential school closures was a, a, an opportunity that we've been waiting to happen for, for a long time now um, because teachers found there was really no alternative to communicating with the students than to do it online. So, yes, we acknowledge that for the experience for many teachers and learners, it, it's been a, a, a suboptimal uh, experience because they were so unused to doing it. But I think the last year has been a very steep learning curve, but a very successful one. And, and uh, I mean, the, the, the consequences have been very varied. But at best, you know, there has been a, a, a smooth transition into online. The, the, the problem is that, you know, for the majority of learners, uh, there have been issues to do with devices and connectivity. So, I mean, these, but the, the pandemic has been an opportunity to bring all these issues to the fore and policymakers now recognise what needs to happen behind the scenes to uh, enable uh, this new learning paradigm to become like the new normal, as they say. Yeah, exactly. We will come back to this new, new normal and to the future that uh, we want to see for, for the learning process. Um, 
Albert, uh, online modalities are there not only for schools and university, but also for adult learners, for people that look for a job. Before 2020, it seemed that online learn, learning courses like MOOCs or, or Coursera were considered by employers as less valuable somehow than the traditional ones. Do you think that what uh, after what happened to us in 2020, this perception of employers will change? Yeah, it's, I would say that it has already already changed because on 2020, we had urgent need to learn very fast on whatever media we have available to, to learn. No? We just need to think about own, our own digital skills before and after 2020. And a lot of people used to uh, learn to use platforms like, like Zoom and other platforms through some kind of formal or informal uh, online courses, MOOCs. So they prove to be uh, highly scalable. And especially in these micro capsules, micro learnings uh, for specific needs, I think what we also learn sometimes that just learning a, a super big topic without a very specific context or, or certain specific need might be uh, not, so, not so engaging. But now during the pandemic, a lot of people had to learn a lot of things very fast and they actually did. So we've demonstrated this lifelong learning uh, paradigm and need. And, and again, in this, in this scenario, and especially because we had basically no other option, but uh, all these mobs and Courseras and online training uh, solutions proved to be uh, efficient and highly scalable. So do you think after this pandemic, uh, when people will present a digital certificate or a badge you now on social media, it will have the same value as the certificate done on a traditional uh, course? Um, yeah, why not? Especially in this kind of micro certification. That's another trend that we've been uh, observing. Rather than having like a large curriculum, it's more about specific uh, micro tools, micro abilities that you can, that you can learn. And we see more and more of that. And, 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 I, and I agree that uh, part of the certification, let's say monopoly that schools, universities used to have as the only entities that were able to certificate certain skills, uh, it is fading away. And then maybe the value even of those courses on micro courses that you mentioned delivered by a company, a digital company will be even higher than the one we can guess, get from the traditional provider of education, right? Yeah, at least at, at the same at the same level, and especially because um, what, another thing we are observing is that the, the skills that we need are, are changing very very fast. Uh, as a company, as a person, uh, as a student, um, a lot of especially the, the hard skills, the the the, no, the the specific knowledge, technical knowledge or tools knowledge are. Um, uh, like there is a, a sentence from Alain Dehas, who is the uh, ADECO group CEO, that he claimed that 40% of our skills are lost every three years. It means that in a decade, you are kind of obsolete in terms of technical and hard skills. So it's important to keep upgrading all the time with these micro learnings. Yeah, and let's say, I think the fact that compulsory education went on online modality will also help then people to keep on learning uh, after the compulsory education is over, but to keep on learning and developing, right? Yeah, and, and we also see that more and more companies understand that in order to be competitive, they need to keep learning, not just producing. It's not a matter of the competitive 
ness of our organization in so much about the, the, the pure out, output uh, of what you are producing, but also your learning process and how learning oriented you are as an organization. Uh, and this dichotomy or this separation between a period where I'm learning and a period where I'm working, I think it's dangerous. Uh, we should be learning and working at the same time. And this is also a way to have more engaged uh, workers or employees. Yeah, in a way it's obsolete now. Thanks for COVID, it became this concept of first learning and then working became obsolete. But talking about the results of learning, uh, Michael, do you think we'll see the results of teaching and learning in 2020 lower than in the previous years? Do you think that the way we educate our teachers uh, would have to change? Yes, I mean, I think it's for sure we need to educate our teachers differently. Uh, in terms of the results this year, it depends what you're measuring. Um, if you're measuring performance against standardised testing regimes, uh, I, I think it's very likely that because we've we've broken the parrot, we've broken the mould, uh, results could be lower if examinations indeed were allowed to go ahead. Uh, but of course, in many settings, they're not in the UK and, and in, in many other parts of the world. Examinations have been cancelled. So teacher assessments will uh, uh, will take their place. And then there's the worry about what they call grade inflation. But but I think the most important thing is, is in the development of skills that, and uh, competencies that weren't measured previously, such as self-regulation, uh, 21st century skills, such as uh, communication, collaboration and so on. I mean, the... the development of those soft skills has uh, taken place at a kind of exponential pace uh, and particularly self-regulated learning. Uh, something which uh, was like an add-on previously is now seen as to be a, a central disposition for lifelong learning. Uh, as we move towards learning which is lifelong, uh, th these uh, learning to learn metacognition skills are going to be much more important. And, and it's something that schools will need to focus on more strongly. And teacher education also needs to focus on this much more strongly. In the past, it's the, you know, the learning to learn paradigm has been something which you do uh, additionally when you've done, delivered your subject curriculum. I mean, now it's absolutely central to uh, the process. In fact, I wanted to ask uh, Albert how important it is for employers nowadays to get employees that know how to learn things and they are self-managers in the learning uh, pathway. No, it's, it's critical. As I said, organizations uh, acknowledge already that uh, being a learning organization, and that means that your uh, workers or employees are, are, are learning and they have these, they are self-driven in order to, to learn what they, whatever they need. This is, this is a critical skill. And as Michael was saying, also all the softer skills, because at the end, more and more people are working on a project basis. So it means that your colleagues will be changing over time. Your context will be changing over time. So it's important that you are able to, to express yourself both orally and especially in written form, now that we are working a lot remotely and asynchronously. So it's important that we are able to explain what we are doing or what we aim to do in a, in a very clear way, uh, that we're able to, to provide feedback and to receive feedback and to listen uh, skills that are not tradition um, or yeah, skills that are not usually part of the traditional curriculum and they are proven to be critical for, for these organizations nowadays. Michael, how difficult it is to assess if someone acquired this self-management 
in learning skills? That's a really good question, and and it brings me on to my my, my other uh, passion, which is uh, digital portfolios. Uh, we f- for so long we've relied on on proxies of uh, student achievement or student uh, understanding, i.e., examinations, where you put an artificial paradigm around what they're doing, and you do a, a, a timed writing test for these people. We now have the capacity to, to, for students and learners of all ages to gather evidence of their achievement as they go along in a digital portfolio. And in that portfolio, just like an artist's portfolio of the past, they can include examples of their collaboration. They can include videos, uh, reflective journals. There's a whole range of evidence, artifacts that can be gathered there, which actually demonstrate very strongly how well they are in terms of creativity, uh, communication with each other, collaboration and critical thinking, problem solving, research skills, these sort of things. There's tangible evidence there rather than just proxy examination results. I know that we, we see we see all that uh, Michael is mentioning on the freelance space. No? For freelancers, uh, it's less and less important to show a traditional curriculum uh, for the potential employer, it's more important that you have your own website with your portfolio yes. where you can showcase uh, not what you know, but what you what you do or what you did with whatever you know and with who, no? as uh, Michael was pointing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just one of our speakers in the previous podcast, he said also that one of the trends nowadays is to do the video curriculum, video CV, when you can actually prove not only that you can, you know, use your camera on your phone, but you can also video edit, you can add special effects. And and nowadays it seems that it's like a, a big trend. No, have you seen it? Yes, yeah, for I- sure. <laughs> in, in, in different, I mean, clearly in media studies and, and in those subject areas where it's been important, that, that's happened. But, but what's happening now is, you know, the traditional uh, CV is now a much richer document, can be a richer document. And indeed, I, I, I talk to students and say, think of your e-portfolio as, as, as your own website, and that's your showcase for yourself. And, and, and that, will, that will live with you, and you can build on it as you go along. And that's a, a much uh, richer, much more representative, much more meaningful expression of you as a potential employee. Albert, you wanted to add something? I know just uh, that there are some specific uh, digital platform for blue collar workers, especially you know, on the on the on the retail stores or factories, or mostly people who are customer facing. No, uh, they are completely based on on video curriculums. It's hundred percent based on mm. video curriculums and it's usually very temp temporary jobs for young people you know it's very often the entry to the job market for them and uh, it, it's been a success it's like kind of instagram 20 30 second videos where they can showcase their uh, capacities to yeah, communicate and to be in a, in a front desk so would it be correct to say that the cv of the future is not the one that lists your skills but the one that lists the products that you can produce by your own hands correct yeah Yeah, I mean, it's a a demonstration of those skills. Uh, How will online learning continue to impact business? Albert. (laughs) Ah, um, Yeah, no, I mean, we've seen that, uh, as I was saying, um, organizations um, are looking for more entrepreneurial uh, employees. This is the expectation that people will be more self-motivated and self-driven. 
And something I'm, I'm trying to explain while um, exploring the future of work or the futures, it's important to, to, to have a plural when you talk about the, the future, the futures of work or works and workers, uh, is to, to stop talking only about single individuals. Even when we are learning, we have a very individualistic approach to, to the learning process and the same when we are employees. And I think part of the I don't know, solution or maybe a better circumstance is when we group together with the small groups. It's better for learning, mm -hmm. no? You, you do peer learning, you have a, a shared objective, a shared topic of knowledge that you want to, to learn. The same as a worker or when you're trying to be an entrepreneur. Uh, sometimes we're looking for these individualistic heroes um, that are going to solve the world, no? like uh, Elon mm -hmm. Musk, let's say. Uh, <laughs> and there are not so many of them. So it's important that we actually create peer learning groups, peer working people. So that's what I'm doing as a freelancer. I belong to this, we call it a collective of freelancers. It's called We Share, We in French and Share in English. That uh, we were founded in 2012. And everybody's a freelancer. We are self-employed. We, we, uh, we don't have anyone on, on, a, on, on salary, salary basis. Um, but we learn together, we work together. It's kind of a, my working tribe. And, and I think the learning and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mode for the organizations need to shift the narrative from the pure individualistic approach to this small collective, a small tribes approach. I think that will help a lot. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, you will get in, in I don't know, in five, 10 years, you will get uh, candidates that are used to sit in front of their computers for learning and it's all about themselves in front of their computers. So do you see it as a potential problem? Because, you know, in a way, online learning is very individualized. I mean, it's it's you and, and you're doing your part of the learning. But you, you can, uh, I was reading an article the other day about the, the, the skills from the gamers, the people who play video games are highly desirable for uh, for the for, for the companies now because they, they do a lot of they have team spirit they, they they learn they teach each other how to play better on video games they do that remotely but they still uh, create a lot of trust uh, in the distance so no I, I think again we have this idea that people are, are learning on their screens isolated but I think we can have a different process where you learn with other people. Here, I, I would recommend, uh, there's a person called Harold Jarche. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. He has a methodology called the Personal Knowledge Mastery, PKM, if you want to search on, on internet. And he has this, this idea of uh, how we learn better, always with peers at project level, at uh, maybe, let's say, uh, shared practice groups in an industry level. So uh, I would really um, look into this. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you think that teachers have to pay specific attention to developing those skills and making them work in groups? Well, I, I think that what we've found in the course of the, the last year where most of the learning from schools has happened in the lockdown situation is that there are three key elements to online learning. Learning is a social process, as Vygotsky told us all those years ago. And it really is. It, you, you learn better if you learn collectively and you're learning collaboratively. <clears throat> so to learn successfully, you need to have a sense of belonging. You need to be part, feel that you're part of something. Uh, secondly, it needs to be the idea of a, a guiding hand, a teacher presence, an idea that you're presenting to something or some group. And thirdly, there needs to be collaboration. Now, if all those elements exist at whatever level, uh, low tech, intermediate tech or high tech, uh, um, distance learning is effective. 
so, so collaboration is absolutely part of the process. And, and you know, what we've learned in the last year is uh, online learning has actually jumped away from the individual on, these, on the computer screen, learning remotely and individualistically to, to something which is much more interactive through Zoom and Teams that we've got to know day, day in, day out now. Uh, uh, what what we found because of the emergency remote teaching scenario we we faced back in March last year is that so many ministries and and, and I unfortunately moving around different places so I started off in Cambodia uh, spent most of my time during the lockdown in in Lebanon and now I'm in Turkey so each of these uh, uh, education systems have, have instituted emergency remote teaching via uh, you know, broadcast, broadcast media, uh, broadcast uh, lessons and, and so on. And, and in many cases, it's been a disaster because it, it's not interactive. It's not collaborative. Uh, it's very passive. And it, it reproduces all the things that are bad about classroom learning, which is, you know, a passive learner and a, and a transmissive teacher. Uh, just as a learning paradigm in a classroom works best, if it's interactive, if there's conversation taking place, dialogic learning, it's the same online. And, and uh, you know, we, we found uh, many places to their cost that, that all these expenses of, of uh, putting a camera in front of a teacher and a whiteboard and a teacher teaching uh, has been absolutely wasted because nothing happens, really. Uh, so, some learners, a very tiny minority of learners, respond to that. Uh, paradigm, but but most learners want to have some form of conversation, some dialogue, some interaction, some interaction with their peer learners, and that sort of stuff. So I, I mean, we've learned a lot, uh, and and I think the critical thing we've learned is is the need for interactivity uh, and the understanding that just a, a transmissive MOOC uh, doesn't do anything to anybody. It needs to be some degree of interaction, some sense of belonging, and so on. Michael, would it, be, would it be correct to say that in a lot of countries, uh, teachers decided just to take normal curriculum, normal class structure and put it online? And that's why it, it never worked, well, actually. Well, uh, I mean, uh, there, was, there was an emergency. I mean, in, in the space of just a few weeks, uh, th there was international panic and, and ministries of education. Uh, they mandated that. Uh, uh, and so they found their best teachers and put them in their best studios and pointed cameras at them and said, teach, you know, and that and that doesn't really work. <laughs> but but it was a, an emergency response to an emergency situation. Uh, but, you know, we, we we did some focus groups in Jordan, for example, where, where the, the, they they did this broadcast transmissive mode and, and you know, consistently the learners, the students were saying that they, they wanted conversations, they wanted to ask questions, they wanted to get some interaction, and, and it, it's not possible. Um, you know, many uh, successful uh, paradigms have been rediscovered as well as new ones invented. And, and I mean, the, the homeschooling has always been a really critical feature of successful education systems. And, and now that again has been reinforced um, once we will back to normal, face-to-face -face classes will be the main format of education or blended format will be more widespread? And will education ever be the same in the post-COVID world? Yes. Well, uh, as we know, education is a deeply conservative uh, uh, sector uh, and, and teachers are quite reluctant to change. Uh, my colleague at London Knowledge Lab, Diana Laurelard, uh, 10 years ago said, 
uh, we're on the brink of an education revolution, but we seem to be on the brink for a very long time. What this pandemic has triggered is uh, uh, the move to online, but also the fact that teachers have found it to be very useful, very valuable, uh, and a very uh, enabling environment where they can actually spread their time more efficiently between different groups. So we, we heard about the flipped classroom a lot before the pandemic, but this notion of the majority of learners learning online, for example, in a lesson, uh, increasing proportion of individuals recognizing the great value that, that, that uh, comes from blended learning. So I, I think uh, it, it'll be a, a semi-return to normal, but, but this has provided the impetus that I suppose digital online learning has needed for the past uh, decade or more. Um, yeah, I, 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 I will look at the remote work scenario. I'm coming from the, from the future of work uh, angle. And we see that the debates also at the beginning were, okay, let's go back to the, all to the office, no? back to the previous situation. And that seems to be unlikely at the moment. So people are looking for hybrid solutions with uh, yes. three days at home or somewhere else. Also the idea of being at home, uh, it's maybe not the correct. We have 30 spaces. I'm speaking with you from a co-working space or could be a hotel in the same way that learning does not on, can only happen in the school uh, building. Mm. can happen anywhere. We can go to the cinema. We can go to a co-working. I've seen students in Spain, instead of following the, this broadcasting approach lesson from home, they join groups three or four in one in, in, in one uh, some uh, one of the students' building or sometimes going to co-workings. So um, we'll see. And I think we can keep an eye on the remote work um, scenarios to have some ideas of what's going to happen in the learning space. The future of work is much more hybrid now. It's much more work from home, work from the office, work in different spaces. And, and, you know, employers need to be confident that those individuals have the skills and capacity to drive themselves and, and not just have a cigarette and drink coffee and uh, put their feet up, you know? That we will not be the same with our education system as it was. So the education system will not be the same as it was before COVID-19. It will be much more hybrid, but also it will be much more flexible in providing uh, learners with skills needed. And the, 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 the new learners, learners will uh, highly likely be more active on labor market and more self get integrated into the labor market much, much easier. Can we conclude with that? I think that's a great conclusion. Yes, absolutely. Yes, agree with Albert, that completely. Yeah. Albert, no, no, I agree. It's a perfect wrap up of the of the conversation. I would like to thank uh, to, to thank you uh, for this podcast. We we are nearly finished. So today we spoke with the Michael Lightfoot, education expert. Michael, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Albert Canigral from uh, uh, Spain, who is expert in the future of work. Thanks a lot, Albert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.